Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the year of the Safer Chemicals Podcast. To kickstart the year, we're going to be talking about an EU enforcement project that focused on the authorization requirements of the REACH regulation. Now, authorization is a process under the REACH regulation, so this is the EU's chemicals legislation, and its aim really is for dangerous chemicals to be progressively replaced by less dangerous ones, where alternatives are available. Under authorization, chemicals are added to a so-called authorization list, also known as Annex 14, by the European Commission. Once on this list, companies need to apply to continue or start using and placing these chemicals on the market. It's worth mentioning that any continued use of these chemicals is only allowed if there are no economically or technically feasible alternatives. Now the Reach on Force 9 or REF9 project that we'll be talking about today looked at both the placing on the market and use of these chemicals very high concern, but also the requirement for downstream users to properly control their risks. Downstream users are mostly small and medium-sized companies, such as formulators, for example, who prepare paints, glues, and detergents, or professionals that use chemicals like oils or lubricants in industrial processes, for example, for electronic components, toys, or cars. Back to the project. So the REF9 project found that most companies comply with the fundamental authorization duties, but also that, for example, 26% of Czech substances were not used by downstream users according to the conditions required by the authorization. We'll be taking a closer look at the findings and next steps. I'm joined by Eugen Anwander, the chair of the working group for the project, who also represents the member state enforcement authorities. Also with us is Maciek Baranski, who works in the harmonized enforcement team here at the European Chemicals Agency. Thank you both for joining us. Let's start with you, Eugen. Can you tell me why did the forum decide to focus specifically on REACH authorization? Yeah, there, of course, was this key process under REACH, which focuses on the most harmful chemicals, the authorization with with this phasing out of the most hazardous chemicals. And this was for sure the major reason because there was never done a full-scale project uh, in all the member states on this REACH authorization. Right. So we wanted to do this, uh, important inspections, uh, including now all substances uh, from Annex 14, uh, and including really all the placing on the market or the uses. uh, The overall focus was with uh, substances where the sunset dates have passed when we started with the project, so in January uh, 2021. And in this way, we were then able to cover 43 uh, substances uh, from these 59, which are in Annex 14 in the moment. And then uh, we also observed that for some of the important substances, we we have quite a limited number of applications and authorizations. But at the same time, we have uh, widely placed on the market these substances. We have a broad use of these substances in the member states, and we wanted really to see what what does this mean. Uh, Sorry, maybe just to interrupt you there. You, now you mentioned some of these substances. So, so can you give an example? Uh, for example, the chromates, uh, so the uh, sodium chromate or the strontium chromate, lead chromate, 
or the chromium trioxide. These are these uh, very broad substances in terms of placing on the market and in terms of use. Right. And are you actually able to say a little bit what kind of uses these have? Just a couple of examples of how they're used. Yeah, typically they they are used uh, either as as pigments, uh, for example, the lead chromates, uh, and then the very broad use is really on the surface treatment of of metals, of various metals. Uh, This is quite often in the automotive and in the uh, aerospace industries. Okay, thanks a lot for that. Yeah, and then there was another reason... uh, we wanted to focus on aspects which were not covered at the time we did the pilot projects. Uh, so really, for the first time, to focus on the substance use uh, and then also on those downstream users which were using the substance, uh, which was subject to an authorization that was granted to a supplier of this downstream user. So the downstream user himself was not holding the authorization. This includes then also the need for a good supply chain communication, and we also wanted to have a closer check on that. Well, let's then go closer into uh, what the inspections looked at. Can you tell me a bit more about that and how many countries also participated in the project? 28 member states, uh, and uh, it includes also countries from the EEA, from the European um, economic uh, area. Uh, and uh, when these countries started the inspections and the individual inspector started his work, inspection work, then uh, this was always focusing on uh, substance inspections. And the first step, of course, was to confirm that the substance which was targeted with the inspection was actually really a substance which is listed in Annex 14 and for which the sunset date has passed. So uh, when you start very generically from information where you only know uh, that the substances might be chromates, then you really have to drill into this detail to understand that the actual chromate used is the one listed in the Annex 14. Okay, and just just for my own own benefit, um, how, how is that check actually done? So... Where do you get that information? How do you do the comparison in practice? Yeah, practically, you try to do this uh, with paperwork. Uh, so you see the uh, substance name uh, in the ingredient list of, of your chemical. Right. And here, typically, the safety data sheet uh, helps you. And uh, when there is of already uh, authorization granted, then maybe even an authorization number, which is obligatory, uh, can help you in identifying the context. Okay, clear. Yeah, then once this is established uh, that the substance is really a relevant one, the inspection uh, tries to identify whether a relevant authorization was already granted uh, for this substance, either for the placing on the market, or for the use, it depends on the inspection context. And if there is no authorization granted, then the next step is to see maybe the authorization was already applied for and is still processed by the authorities. And then there might be also a situation where the placing on the market and the use takes place under a specific exemption from the authorization requirement. And uh, then uh, 
there was also an inspection uh, goal to see that whatever needs to be communicated in the supply chain is really communicated by the suppliers in line with the provisions of the authorization decision. Uh, it was also important to check uh, that the chemical that was used was from a so-called valid supply chain, a supply chain where really the authorization was there or an application for authorization was there. And the downstream users that use the substance are required to notify the European Chemical Agency uh, about their use. So we also checked for submission of this notification according to Article 66 of the REACH regulation. Uh, then there was also uh, an important aspect that once we identified that the substance was already authorized and authorization conditions were in place, that the downstream users uh, really have acknowledged these conditions and implemented the necessary safety measures. This is, of course, quite a profile of what is inspected. Um, and we were then lucky to see member states really submitted 690 questionnaires um, to the working group. Uh, and uh, eventually, we then could identify that out of this number, 502 uh, inspections we really could include into the analysis. And this was then uh, inspections in 404 companies, which we could include in our report. Okay, so let's move on then um, more specifically to those um, that were found to breach, really breach the authorization requirements. So can you tell me about the substances there and maybe also the companies and the countries where these breaches were found? Yeah, in general, we, we found... Uh, that out of these 502 uh, substance inspections, which I mentioned before, 203 uh, really identified uh, some kind of breach, uh, which makes an overall non-compliance rate uh, for these inspections of the 40%. And actually, it's exactly the same figure also when we look into this non-compliance rate in terms of companies. So also 40% of the inspected companies were non-compliant. Okay, 40%. Now, that, that to me sounds like a, a large number of non-compliance. I think when you see the figure with the 40% of non-compliance rate for the inspections, but, but also 40% of the companies which we inspected, actually, uh, this, this looks quite a high number. And also for an inspector, this is uh, well above the usual level of non-compliance that we find, which is maybe something like 10%. Uh, but we have to be aware that this is on the one hand quite a new instrument uh, and the non-compliances which were identified here are now really including the severe ones. We even could uh, name here a number, the 3%, but it includes also um, non-compliances which might only be a formality that, that, that there was maybe some information element not, not in the correct place. Yeah. So uh, this we need to be aware. And I think we have in the report quite more detailed information uh, on non-compliances for specific obligations where we then can see uh, this, these figures uh, 
drop once you then really focus on on specific, um, let's say, relevant obligations of the duty right. holders. Uh, the the quite interesting uh, picture that we see with respect to the non-compliance is that uh, the higher non-compliance rates are always related to downstream user duties. So, for example, we see uh, that the substance inspections, uh, which are related to the uh, use of a substance uh, according to the conditions of an authorization granted an actor upstream in the supply chain, uh, that 26% of these cases uh, are with a non-compliance. So this is typically a non-compliance of a downstream user. And then uh, we also uh, can see that, again, 26% non-compliance is there when it comes to the duty of the downstream user to now really identify and apply and, if suitable, also recommend measures to adequately control the identified risk during the use of the substance. And another aspect is we discussed already the Article 66 notification before. So 20% of the substance inspections revealed that there was not this Article 66 notification in the database at the time of the inspection. There are quite some favorite substances which show the highest non-compliance rates. Uh, and this is, uh, for example, the lead sulfur chromate yellow, where we have 63% of non-compliant cases for this substance, uh, or the strontium chromate with 51%, and the chromium trioxide, which has 35%. An um, additional point uh, when it comes to the non-compliances was that the inspectors uh, found in 30 5% of the cases uh, that the communication about the information re related to operational conditions, risk management, or monitoring arrangement, which are all included in the authorization decisions, are actually not passed down the supply chain at the downstream users. Uh, it was also observed that once this information is provided in the supply chain in form of the safety data sheet, for example, then the, the quality of this information uh, was often poor. And these two facts push the downstream users into a non-compliance because they are simply not aware what needs to be observed or, or they are not well informed or only in a poor way they are informed. And the downstream users themselves, uh, they, they are not aware and they even do not know that they by themselves actively should ask for better quality information from their suppliers in order to overcome this problem by getting active themselves. Right. So quite a vicious circle then. And hopefully now uh, we'll talk with Maciek more about the recommendations later on to see how the situation yeah. can be improved. Yeah, that, that's really an important point then for the recommendations for us. It was uh, also quite interesting to see that uh, when we checked for companies that uh, really completely failed to observe the reach authorization duties, they 
did not have a valid authorization. They also did not have an application for authorization. And they could not uh, identify an exemption that could be applied for their use and their substance. That such cases were quite low. We only observed in 3% of the inspections that such free riders, which completely uh, ignore the provisions of the reach authorizations, are there. And here we really have to say that these 3% are really a small proportion of the uh, 40% overall non-compliance, which we could observe. And uh, can you please tell me how many substances does this 3% refer to? And I noticed that in the report, we don't mention the names of these substances or the companies involved. Can you tell me why? This comes really from the fact that uh, the 3% uh, of cases are uh, in figures 17 inspections. And this is, of course, a very low number when you want to do uh, further analysis and and. Uh, you will end up with uh, poor quality statistical information. So, so we rather didn't want to do that uh, with the, that low number of, of inspections. Um, let's then move on to the types of companies and uses specifically that were checked. Can you tell me more about those? Yeah, we really did not take any specific focus in terms of the company size. Uh, so, for example, uh, we ended up with 65% of the inspected companies, which are small and medium-sized enterprises, but this just came out uh, as a result. We did not take a focus there. Uh, we also did not per se uh, focus on, on a specific economic sectors, but in the end, we have seen that uh, 83% uh, of, of the inspections focused of, on the manufacturing economic sector. Here we have to be aware that this also includes then the mixture formulators or the article producers. And in this sector, uh, again, the biggest group uh, was the companies that do the metal treatment and the coating, um, typically using the chromium compounds, uh, which were something like 30% of the inspection cases. Uh, also, in terms of reach duties, uh, manufacturer, import, uh, underrepresentative, downstream user, we, we really included all these kind of duty holders. Uh, but in the end, 90% of the checks that we did were actually related to the downstream user role of the companies. And in terms of the uses, uh, the checks were also quite broad. Um, we received uh, the answer for 73 different uses which are related to granted authorization or applications for authorization. And then there was a similar figure, 63 different uses which were related to existing exemptions in the regulation. So really also in terms of uses, we had quite a broad uh, focus in this project. Um, well, I mean, the, the, let's say the burning question that comes out of out of the results on the report um, uh, for me, and I'm sure many others, is: is there then a real risk uh, to workers or consumers or both because of the non-compliances that were found? I think, in general, we really have to be aware uh, that uh, these non-compliances with the authorization requirements mean that there may be a risk to the workers or to the environment. 
For example, when the downstream users do not uh, take the appropriate measures uh, to adequately control the identified risk. We also see that the inspectors, once they identified a non-compliance, uh, stepped in and uh, with different enforcement measures uh, in these non-compliant cases, uh, asked to bring the situation into compliance. Well, that brings us nicely actually to my next question. So so what happened to these companies and downstream users that were found to be non-compliant? Now, you mentioned measures and actions, but you know, were there penalties, for example, imposed? Yeah, it is mainly when we just discussed that we have to bring the companies into compliance. It's maybe not that the, the main focus is on penalties, but really to bring companies into compliance. And we can see this also for those uh, 203 cases of, of non-compliance, which we identified that, that for the majority uh, of these uh, cases, 198 uh, re- follow-up action was reported. And uh, this can be advices, either verbal or written, or it can be orders. It can be also then criminal complaints or fines. And the most often implemented uh, follow-up action was really the written advice, uh, uh, followed then by the administrative orders, where we then from this can see it's really on inspectors informing companies how they come into compliance and sometimes even ordering the companies how they have to come into compliance, which is, I think, in terms of the risk which we discussed before, of course, the important step to take. Okay, thank you very much, Eugen. Um, Let's then move on to you, Maciek, and more specifically, the follow-up and recommendations for industry and the European Commission. Um, What are the main recommendations from the project on the EU level? So for the industry, the main recommendation from the project is to uh, improve the communication on conditions of the use of the authorized substance and also, uh, of course, for the use of the substance according to the conditions of the restrictions must be more rigorously uh, aligned with uh, the conditions that are prescribed in the authorization decision. Th- that is that is clearly the main the main finding and the recommendations from the uh, project. Right. And then lastly, the commission uh, who's writing the authorization decisions is is recommended to improve the clarity and also uh, maybe be a bit specificity of the authorization decisions. And there's a couple of specific uh, ideas that the, the inspectors have put forward. Uh, firstly, um, is that the decisions would really benefit uh, from always identifying the responsible actor for the specific authorization condition, because some uh, conditions are directed only of the authorization holders, others downstream users. So it would be good to make it crystal clear um, in the text. Secondly, the decisions should be in the national languages of all the countries where the affected companies are located. Uh, so, particularly for the uh, upstream authorizations, uh, should also be uh, released in the languages of those countries where the downstream users uh, who are using the substance are, are located. So they can also refer to it in their own native language. Thirdly, the duties uh, for the supply chain communication um, and the flow of information between the authorization holder and the downstream user should also be uh, ideally regulated uh, in the authorization decision because it would definitely help to improve the communication in the supply chain 
um, and so also improve compliance. Fourthly, there is a certain overlap between the uh, existing uh, legislation, for example, the uh, occupational health and safety, uh, or the requirements coming from the uh, environmental legislation. And these legislations require, for example, monitoring arrangements uh, at the workplace or application of hierarchy uh, of controls. And it would be important that the authorization decisions um, actually explain and clarify these overlaps between these requirements and the conditions of the decision. Right. Uh, and lastly, for the monitoring arrangements, uh, it would be good if the uh, authorization decisions include a bit more details about the measuring method uh, for the sampling and the, uh, and the laboratory analysis. Maybe then a bit more about what these recommendations would mean in practice for the different actors. For the industry, one of the most important ones um, is then for the suppliers, uh, and that of course includes the upstream authorization holders. They should really improve the quality and completeness of the uh, extended safety date sheets in order to include all the information about conditions uh, of the use of the authorized substances so that they are clear, uh, they are very specific, and they are given in a concise language that the uh, downstream users can easily understand. Which requires, of course, um, that the operational conditions, the risk management measures, uh, and the monitoring conditions are explained uh, in, a, in a clear language. Uh, also addressing national exposure limits and doing so in a clear manner. It, it is not a simple feat, but it's really important uh, aspect of the functioning uh, of for authorization system. Uh, and also this improvement of communication from the suppliers, this is the solution to uh, break the vicious circle that, uh, that you have referred to before. Because if downstream users get clear information, they'll be able to understand and implement them uh, and then use, this, uh, use the substance uh, in a safe way, thus complying with their authorization conditions. For the downstream users, uh, in practice, well, they need to ensure that they follow the operational conditions uh, and the risk management measures uh, set out in the authorization decision for the substance that they use. If they find that any of this is unclear or, or vague, and this, this we have heard that this often happens, for example, there was a suggestion in the safety data sheet that emissions should be insignificant, which well, could, could mean anything. Um, so if there are such, such vague or unclear statements, the downstream users should clearly and, and proactively seek clarification from, from the supplier. So they need to ask uh, up the supply chain. Uh, and it is really critical that the authorization conditions are followed. Um, because even though the project findings indicate that you know this happens and the downstream users follow the conditions in three out of four uh, cases, it works in most cases, but for the authorization provisions, this is all about substance of very high concern. So compliance ambition should really be at 100%. We have a clear need of, of improvement in this area. For the commission, let's say, and the project lists a, a number of of suggestions of how the how to change the um, writing of the authorization decisions. And these changes uh, would mean that the decisions will be uh, clear and easier to understand uh, and follow by the duty holders and also much easier to enforce. Okay, thanks. And, and I mean, coming back to what Eugen said earlier about there being, you know, potentially risks from these because we are talking about uh, some some harmful uh, substances uh, here. So is, is there anything that can be done in the short term to ensure that these authorization requirements are being followed and, and also better enforced? 
Well, the, the fastest fix that, that could be done uh, is, is to improve the communication, the supply chain uh, between the authorization holders, the suppliers, and then the users of the substances. And this, of course, uh, requires clear information down the supply chain on the required conditions of use, as, as just mentioned before. But also, uh, it also means that the suppliers uh, should and could proactively communicate with the downstream users, not just through the extended safety date sheets, as they are required to by law, but also using any other means, just to make sure that the recipients know their duties and, and know how to use the substances uh, safely. So this is definitely something that uh, the suppliers um, can do, and uh, they should be ready to respond to requests for clarification from the downstream user. So this, this improvement and, and, and maybe uh, a more proactive approach uh, is definitely something that could be done uh, quickly. In addition, uh, let's say as a follow-up to the project, uh, the forum plans a dedicated workshop for the stakeholder organizations in, in, the, in the second quarter of, uh, of this year uh, in order to communicate results and recommendations from the project to the industry and stakeholders. So we hope that this would facilitate and, and quicken the implementation of recommendations. Right. And then how do you see this result impacting the ongoing discussions on the REACH review, looking at the future of, uh, of authorization? Well, it's a good question, which is probably best addressed to the European Commission at the moment, who's working on the, on the REACH revision. Right now, uh, let's say what, what we can say from the results of the project is that uh, uh, the results indicate a compliance situation point out the difficulties that, that Eugen has, has, has mentioned in the previous part of the podcast. They show uh, the challenges with the implementation of the existing provisions and also recommend remedial actions for the different actors, the industry enforcement, ECA and the Commission. So in addition to enforcing compliance, uh, the ECA forum projects are useful input to legislators by indicating how the legislation is implemented in practice. Maybe one finding that, that's, uh, that's particularly, uh, maybe particularly re relevant um, is about the insufficient supply chain communication. It may indicate that for any future mechanism for upstream author authorizations, special attention will be needed to ensure good flow of information between authorization holders and the downstream users. All in all, I certainly hope that the findings and recommendations uh, from the project will be useful for the retrovision. All right, we've come to the end of our episode. Thank you both for joining us. Eugen, thank you for sharing your insights into the results and Maciek for going through the main recommendations and shedding some light on the next steps. Now for our listeners, you can read the full report on our website at eka.europa.eu. Join us again in March, where we'll be interviewing the chair of the forum following their March meetings, as well as our regular debriefs with the chairs of our risk assessment, socioeconomic analysis, and biocidal products committees. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.